0: here today. Welcome to joining us online. So glad you planned some of you to join us here. Go ahead and take a seat. My name's Nathan. Today I'm going to be teaching about hope. Specifically what I want to say this morning is this. Hope requires effort. Hope requires effort. We'll end with that. But before we get there, let me back up just a minute and say I'm so glad that you're here. There's notes, pages, if that would be helpful to you with some space on the back for kids or adults with short Attention spans, more room to draw pictures and be creative on the back. It's pretty. It's pretty symbolically driven, though, today. So we we, uh, we have no excuses. We've been in a series for the last few weeks called Changes and Chances, and this is um, this is a series that's inspired by a prayer out of an old English prayer book called the Book of Common Prayer, and the series has so far been really just a review of some big, basic Bible themes. And I've offered them as an invitation, as a place to begin. As we navigate through all kinds of changes and chances in this season of life, my own journey has caused me to come back to some of the things that I need to be reminded of, some of the things that need to be uh, taken from maybe bedrock truth to maybe out in the front just a little bit more because I want to start with with these things, these big biblical themes. I want to start my interpretation and my navigation of this culture and this season of life with these things in mind. Specifically, I'm talking about this. God is good. Right? I want to start there. God is faithful. Talked about that in week two. God is totally trustworthy. I want to start with these big Bible truths as I try to figure things out. Sometimes, and it's been one of the times for me, it's good to go back, it's good to review, it's good to remember, it's good to set your feet again, go back to some solid ground, right? And today I want to share a few thoughts about the stability of God and what we might see as our response to the stability of God, which is the perseverance of hope through the changes and the chances of this mortal life. Our response to the stability of God, the perseverance of hope. So we'll touch on a few things in the next couple of minutes. I wanna talk for a minute about the love-hate relationship we have with change. I wanna talk about how hope is related to our hearts. I wanna talk about how hope is related to our eyes, how hope is related to our hands. And then finally, we'll end with the idea that hope requires effort. Hope requires effort, okay? Let's begin by praying this prayer together. This is the prayer I referred to that comes out of the book of Common Prayer. Would you pray this with me? Be present, O merciful God, and protect us through the hours of this night so that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of this life may rest in your eternal changelessness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So this prayer is essentially a prayer for protection. Do you see that? We are asking God in this prayer for protection so that we who are wearied may rest. You need protection so you can rest. That's the essence of the prayer. Question In what are we resting according to the prayer? In what are we resting according to the prayer? It's the changelessness of God, right? It's the eternal changelessness of God. The fact that God doesn't change, that is the source of our rest. So we have, I think it's interesting, we have such a love-hate relationship with change, don't we, right? Sometimes we want change, sometimes we don't want change. Sometimes we demand change, sometimes we resist change. If, if someone says to you, someone that you love, they say to you, you never change, That might be a good thing and it might be a bad thing, right? It depends on the context. It depends on some things, right? We have a love-hate relationship with change. Sometimes we are frustrated because nothing ever changes around here. And sometimes we're overwhelmed because everything is changing around here, right? And it's interesting to me how I think it must be everybody in their minds gotta have this really fine line And we want change until we hit that fine line. And then once you cross that fine line, it's like, nope, no more change. I do not want any more change, right? The perception in our minds changes from I need some more change to this is now too much change and I I can't handle any more. It's it's changing too drastically. It's changing too quickly. It's it's changing to a level that is overwhelming to me. And so now my value shifts from I want more change to "I, I want changelessness. I want stability, that's the word, I want stability. If by stability I mean consistency, if by stability I mean dependability, if by stability I mean reliability. I don't mean dead stagnation, nobody wants stagnation. But we are looking for something that is more rooted than reactionary, aren't we? We're looking for something that has more force then fast fashion, then fragile solutions. When it feels like every part of our life is changing or things are changing too quickly, that's when I become more focused on the eternal. I just feel gravitated towards the eternal. I almost, it's not almost, I can't handle, somebody told me about another change. I can't handle any more changes. I need, I just start to go, what's, I start reading older books I start going deeper into the eternal. Think of stability in terms of strong enough to withstand the storms. That's what stability means, like an oak tree. Think of stability in terms of still standing when everything else gets burned down, enduring, right? Think of stability in terms of proven true when fads fade. There's a legitimacy here. There's a, there's a, cross-cultural dynamic. There's an enduring uh, pr- permanent dynamic. This is the sense in which God is stable. God is not stagnant. God is stable. The stability of God is generative, meaning it is life-giving. The stability of God is beautiful, meaning it's ordered and it's good. The stability of God is assuring power. It's not threatening power. It's not abusive power. It's assuring power. It's protective power. This is, the, this is what exists in God's unchanging nature, his changelessness. So what? So what? Well, so we hope. That's the so what. So we hope. We base our hope in the stability of God. Ultimately we can have hope because God doesn't change. Hope is possible even when life is crazy and the world is chaotic. Hope is possible. Not because, get this distinction please, not because the circumstances are going to get back to normal or because the circumstances are going to change whatever direction you're sensing it needs to go. But that's not why we can hope. Not because of the circumstances. Hope is possible because God will never change. That's why it's possible. Hope is possible because God remains the same, right? And our response to God's stability is to hope. There's an old Christian hymn that's written in the 1830s that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Think of like a cameraman, a, a photographer. The ideal circumstance, frame that just right. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All, in case you missed it, says it again all other ground is sinking sand. That sinking sand is a reference to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7 where he's referring to people who put his teachings into practice who hold to his teachings and he says people who hold to my teachings are like wise people who build their house on the rock they 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 root their existence on stability on the rock and then he compares the wise man with the foolish man who doesn't put his teachings into practice and the foolish man's like a guy who Builds his house on, on shifting sand. It is unstable. It is by definition unreliable, untrustworthy. It shifts and changes all the time. When the storms of life come, and of course they always come, the woman or man whose life is built on the rock of God's stability has a good reason to hope. In the midst of the storms, if your life is rooted on the stability of God, you have a reason to hope. The truth is God is stable. God is eternally unchanging. And then the invitation based on that hope is to respond, or that truth is to respond to the stability of God with hope. With hope. Super basic. You know all this stuff. I'm just trying to draw this line, which sometimes gets a little bit scrubbed out between the stability of God and the hope of the follower of God. Do you see that? There's a line there between the stability of God and the hope that we can have as Christians. You can be hopeful because of God's eternal changelessness. You can be hopeful because of God's uninterrupted goodness. You can be hopeful because of God's rock-solid reliability. You can be hopeful because of God's total trustworthiness. You can be hopeful. You can have hope. Amen? All right, good. That's the why. That's why you can be hopeful, because of the stability of God, the changelessness of God. Here's how, okay? Here's how. Preaching 101, don't do a why sermon and a how sermon as the same sermon, but I'm going to do it. All right, because you got the why part down, right? Here's a simple how to be hopeful, and here I'm drawing from the work of my friend, Dr. David McDonald, who summarized the content a couple years ago of over 40 books on hope and happiness into one book, which was helpful for me, called How to See the Future. And and so I'm drawing from his work, and he argues that in order to be hopeful, you need to have desire and vision and agency. In order to be hopeful, you need to have desire and vision and agency. I'm going to say that even more simply. You need to have heart. You need to use your heart. It's a vision. You need to use your eyes. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. You need to use your heart, that's desire. <laughs> you need to use your eyes, that's vision. And you need to use your hands, that's agency. Okay? And I just think this is so helpful. Because we can know why it is reasonable to be hopeful, but still fail to feel hopeful. Is that anybody been there? I know it's reasonable. <laughs> I know I have a reason to be hopeful, but I do not feel Hopeful right? So here's three things we can do. Here's here's how to be hopeful. And if you resist formulas like I do, good for you. But here, you can think of it as as in terms of ingredients or something like that. Think of these as, if nothing else, here's three things I can do to become more hopeful, even this week, right? First, hope takes desire. You got to want something. You got to want something. It can be as simple as lunch, Or as complicated as world peace, you're not gonna feel hope if you don't want something. You need to have desire. So that's the first question, is what do you want? What is something that you want? I'd encourage you to write a couple things down. Name some things in your mind. What is it that you want? Don't feel pressure to ultimately answer the question. This is ultimately what I want. Just start with lunch and go from there. What are some of the things that you want? Identify some of your actual desires. What do you want? Is it true freedom for oppressed people? Is it joy for your children? Is it financial security? Is it health, physical strength? Life-giving marriage? To have hope, you need to use your heart. Think of heart as a symbol of desire. What do you want? To have a lack of desire is to be depressed. To not want anything is to is to be depressed. We hear people say, I just don't care anymore. It's, It's important to identify what you want, the desires of your heart. If you want to be hopeful, if you're not feeling hopeful, one of the things you can do is name a couple things that you want. Do the hard work of naming some of the things that you want. How can I be hopeful? I can use my heart. Secondly, use your eyes. Second practical ingredient to hope is vision. We'll symbolize vision with eyes, with seeing. If desire is knowing what you want, vision is imagining what it looks like. If my heart wants a life-giving marriage, then what does that look like? What is my vision? I might imagine us sitting in the corner of a quiet restaurant, enjoying some food, laughing lightheartedly with one another, just appreciating one another's company. I want to get that picture in my mind. What does it look like? What's my vision of this thing that I want? If my heart wants freedom for the oppressed, What does that actually look like? Where am I standing when I see that? And what do my eyes actually see? I mean, we got to push it to the specific. What does that look like? Dr. Martin Luther King's vision, the picture that he so powerfully painted with his words in his I Have a Dream speech was that one day, right there in Alabama, is what he said, Little black boys and little black girls would be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls as brothers and sisters. That was his vision. That's what, what that's his desire envisioned. That's what it looks like. Or he went on to say that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. That's his vision. That's what it looked like. He could see it. It was his dream, it was his vision, and seeing that vision was part of what kept him hopeful. That's why it was so important that he painted a picture for the people, and that he had it identified in his own mind as well, so he could pursue something that was concrete, didn't exist yet, but he had a vision for it. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl writes about Jews who were imprisoned in Nazi death camps, who held on to hope and didn't ultimately succumb to despair. And he said that they were the ones who could envision freedom. They were the ones, the ones who held on to hope were the ones that could envision what freedom looked like specifically. Examples like playing the piano in my mother's house. Examples like walking to my favorite bakery in order to buy some bread. Basic, but specific enough, right? Envisioned enough that it actually brought some reality to what would otherwise be just sort of an ethereal concept of hope. It doesn't really make you hopeful. We've got to envision it. They could imagine it. They could see it. They could envision it. So we're asking, how can we be hopeful? Hopeful. Use your eyes. Use the eyes of your imagination, in a sense. First, identify your desires, what you want, and then envision what your desires look like. What does it look like next week? What does it look like in, in a month? What does it look like in 10 years? Hope takes vision. We need to use our eyes. So hope is made of desire, and it's made of vision, and then finally, hope is made of agency. Agency means you have the ability to do something. You have the power to do something, right? We could symbolize agency by saying, use your hands. Or maybe use your feet, or maybe use your pen, or maybe use your voice. You have agency. You have the power to do something. Have you noticed that hopeful people have a plan? Have you noticed that? Hopeful people have a plan. They want something. They can envision what it looks like, and they're actively pursuing it. They're clicking off the tasks toward the accomplishment. And it's not that the full accomplishment is even required in order to be hopeful. It is the pursuit of the next step. It's doing something to move toward the vision that is the expression of your desire. So if, you, if your desire is to be healthy, maybe, if, maybe at one point in my life, uh, my desire to be a healthy man, I, I envisioned myself crossing the line at a marathon. Well, the first steps included signing up for a race, right? Buying a pair of shoes that I could run in. uh, Running that first mile, which I hadn't done in years at the time. You could say, well, running a mile is a whole long way from running a marathon. Absolutely it is. But you know what? This isn't a sermon about how to run a marathon. This is a sermon about how to be hopeful. I come back from that first mile and I'm hopeful. Because I just made some progress towards a vision that's fueled by a desire So one of the ingredients of hope is simply doing something that's motivated by your desire to to realize this vision. It's your heart and your eyes and your hands all coming together. And even if you fail to fully realize the exact vision, doing something to move in the direction of your desire is a hope-building activity. You will feel hopeful if you are just doing something in the right direction. So you do the work. You make it tangible. You use your hands. You have been made in the image of God, friends. That means you have agency. You have the power to do some things. What are your assets? What are the tools at your disposal? What can you do? What is the next step? Oh, it's overwhelming. Listen, the hopeless person says, there's nothing I can do about it. The hopeless person says that. Don't say that. It might be completely beyond your personal ability to fully achieve but the hopeful person says i realize this isn't much but i can do this the hopeful person can do this and they do it it's a little thing in the grand scheme of moving the earth and the, and the world and culture forward it's a little thing but it's a huge thing for you because it's the difference between being hopeful and not being hopeful If you have a desire and a vision, then use your God-given agency and do something about it. I want to say it's your job to do something about it. If you have a desire and you can see the vision, do something about it. People who want something and they see what it needs to look like, but stay on the couch and tell everybody else what they need to do, get cynical and bitter It's not to say that there's no room for other people to catch your vision. I need to catch more vision. I need to desire greater things. But I need the one who has that vision and that desire to say, this is my job. Let me show you how, right? And I begin to see how I can. And, and if I've got the desire and I've got the vision, well, i gotta, I got to put it into practice, right? i got to do something about it. So you want to be hopeful? Use your heart. That's desire. Use your eyes. That's vision. And use your hands. That's agency. The last thing I want to say is what I said at the start, which is this. Hope requires effort. Hope requires effort. I got this idea two years ago uh, while I was living in a monastery in Italy, and I was reading the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, and I got stuck on his letter to Timothy, the first one, and I was reading through it over and over and over again straight through, like you're supposed to read a letter. (laughs) right? And I was reading through, and I was trying to pick up what was going on, kind of behind the scenes, between the lines, and I realized that Timothy, Paul is writing to a man named Timothy, Timothy's battling discouragement. He's young, that's a problem. He's got health issues, that's a problem. Doesn't seem to have a relationship with his dad, that's addressed by Paul. He's not certainly uh, receiving the respect that he expects to get, That's an issue. So you get the sense that Timothy, this young pastor, is struggling to have hope. At one point in what we call the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy, Paul writes this. This is what he writes. Here's our scripture for the day. We'll end with it. For this end we toil and struggle, Paul says, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. For this end, we toil and struggle. There's the effort. Why? Because we have placed our hope on the living God. Paul is encouraging Timothy to do the work, to toil, to struggle. Paul is putting in big effort. He's encouraging Timothy to put in big effort. Why? Because we've put our hope in the living God. This is not a dead hope. This is not an absent hope. We've put our hope in the living God. Some translations say we've put our hope on the living God. Some say we've put our hope in the living God. In other words, it is because of their hope in the living God that these men toil and struggle it's why they don't give up. It's why they keep putting out effort. Their situations are challenging. Their God is unchanging. Okay? Their situations are challenging. Changes and chances. It's all, but their God is unchanging. And their hope is set on their God, on their living God. God is alive. God is well. God is their reason for hope. God is their Why? And what is their how? How do they become more hopeful? They work at it. They work at it. They put out some effort, right? They toil and struggle. They identify what they want. They cast vision for what it looks like. You read Paul's letter, it's full of desire language, it's full of vision language. And it's full of practical instruction for Timothy. Now do this. This is your next step. Now do this. Paul is using his heart. He's using his eyes. He's using his hands to stay hopeful. Friends, hope is critical. Hope is so important. Hope is not some passive theoretical concept. Hope requires effort. To be hopeful requires intentionality and effort. So in the midst of all these changes and chances in this season of life... Amidst all the blaming and complaining and division of our political process, against all the tragedy and the sadness and the violence characterizing our whole culture, especially men and women of color, against all of the disappointment and hopelessness that's become associated with our education system and experience, with our economy and business experience, may we... As followers of Christ, may we be hopeful. Okay, may we hold on to hope. May we set our hope on the living God. And may we do the hard work of being hopeful. Amen. May we be hopeful people. Amen. Amen.
1: I invite you to sing this hymn with me. My hope is built on nothing left than jesus blood and righteousness i dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on jesus name